morning, everybody. Welcome again. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, would you guys do something for me? Take your hands and fold them like this, okay? And now do this together with me. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors. Where's all the people, right? And then you got to fold your hands like this weird way, right? Okay, ready? Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors. There's all the people. They actually set their clocks back so they're on time for church today, right? Okay, good. No, now, here's, how many of you did that when you learned that when you were a little kid? Yeah, now, here's the point I'd like to make for you this morning. We, we, when we do that, we say, here is the church, and here are the people, but the reality is, this really isn't the church, is it? It's a building. This is the church. It's God's people. It's this family that we call uh, Trinity, or we call the people of God. And that's why we're doing this series, This Is Us, so that we could talk about what it means to be the church, okay? So that's one thing before I get to the message today. One more thing um, I want to teach you before we get to the message today is in the second century, we know that there was a prayer that every rabbi was taught to pray every morning, first thing when they got out of bed. And this was the prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman a slave, or a Gentile. Seriously, we know that that was the prayer every rabbi was taught to pray first thing in the morning when they got out of bed in the second century. Now, we can't be positive, but we believe that that actually went back a lot longer than the second century. In fact, we believe that Paul, um, who we're going to hear about in our story today, would have been taught that prayer when he became a rabbi. He would have been taught every morning as he began his day to pray this prayer, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Okay, so keep that in mind. I think it's going to be relevant in our story later. But right now, would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as together we meditate on your word, on this story from your word, and what it means for us as a part of your family uh, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O oh God, who is indeed our Father, who has made us brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. So um, I, I got one more question for you, and that is, why, why does lightning do that? Well, why does lightning make this kind of weird path as it, as it uh, connects the sky and the ground together? Now, you know what lightning is, right? It's actually, there's this, dis, there's this uh, um, difference in electrical charge that builds up between the clouds in a storm and, because, and between the earth, and, and eventually it builds up to the point that it's got to release, and, and so they... This, this arc of lightning, this arc of electricity connects the clouds and the ground together. But my question is, why isn't it a straight line? Why does it take the quickest and most direct route? Why does it kind of follow this circuitous path? And, and the answer to that, if you know your science, is this is what happens, by the way, when you have an old science teacher as your pastor, right? Um, the, the answer to that is the electricity follows the path of least resistance through the air. Okay, so, so it's like every millisecond that bolt of lightning is deciding what's the easiest way to go. Not what's the quickest way, what's the most direct way, it's what's the easiest way to go. And it's constantly making decisions about the easiest way to go and that's why uh, a bolt of lightning looks like that even with some branches or forks in some places where it was you know, probably the same to go either of two ways. And so, so lightning follows the easiest path. 
Now, the reality is we do that too. We often follow the easiest path through our life, and that's especially important this morning as we talk about what it means to be God's people and live out this mission that God has given us in the world. Let me give you an example like that. Imagine your cell phone rang and you looked at it, and this is what it said. <laughs> now, uh, now, now, by the way, do you know how I actually got this picture? I, uh, I went into my contacts and I changed uh, Pastor Nick's name to Annoying Friend, and then... <laughs> And then I asked him to call me, and, uh, and, and don't worry, Nick, I changed it right back, right after. <laughs> but, but seriously, in that moment, when you look at your phone, and, uh, and you see that this person is calling you, and it's somebody that, that may be annoying, maybe isn't you know, somebody you especially look forward to talking to, you've got a split decision to make in that moment, do I hit decline or accept, Right? And all too often, we as Christians follow the path of least resistance. We take the easiest path, which is, I'll let that one go to voicemail. So, so what does that mean for us as the family of God? Because in our story that we just heard read from the book of Acts, Paul and Silas had one of those split-second decisions they had to make. They're in prison, they're there in stocks and in chains, and there's this earthquake, and the prison doors are thrown open, and their chains fall off, and the stocks break apart, and they are free to run, and they have a decision to make, because they hear the voice of the jailer, and they know what it would mean for him if they ran. So what do they do? Do they take the path? Of least resistance, the easiest decision for them, or the, do they do what is right for God's mission? And folks, it's really those decisions that answer these questions for us as a church. What kind of church family are we really going to be? Or, or what kind of member of that family are you going to be? You know, over these weeks, we've looked at what it means to be a part of this church family. And as, as uh, Pastor Nick talked about, there are these family values that we've been learning about. And he's going to talk with you a little bit more about those during our Connect time later. But, but, but one of those values uh, circles around this idea of are we people that are quick and willing to share our faith at every opportunity? Are we people that are quick and willing, willing to make a difference in the lives of people around us in the name of Jesus every chance we get? Or are we going to be people that follow the easiest path, that, that path of least resistance? Now, um, uh-oh, can you change back to my sermon, please? Um, now, uh, now, now, right now, we want to take a look at this story from Paul and Silas that, that we hear about in the book of Acts. But we want to go back a little bit to the beginning, actually, or, or near to the beginning of Acts chapter 16, and set the scene for you a little bit. So, so we learned this past week uh, in our small groups how uh, Paul and Silas separate from Barnabas and Mark, and they go their separate ways. And uh, now Paul and Silas are on this journey, and they leave Troas, and they sail, sail straight uh, to the island of Samothrace. Uh, the next day, they sail to Neapolis, and then they went by land to Philippi, a Roman colony. Now, do you remember why they do that? Because there's this vision that Paul has of this man from Macedonia saying, come bring us the gospel. Come, come, come and bring us this gospel. Come, uh, we, we need your help. 
And, and so they, they head this way, they head to this Roman colony that's really a leading city there in Macedonia, and we're told that they stayed there for several days. Now, the first story we hear about there is not our story this morning. It's about how Paul encounters this woman named Lydia. She's from the city of Thyatira, and uh, she sells purple cloth. By the way, any of you ladies involved in the Lutheran Women's Missionary League over the years, what's the color? It's purple, right? Well, that's where this comes from, right? This, this story about Lydia and her inclusion into the family of God. It says, she worshiped God and he opened her mind to pay attention to what Paul was saying and she and all the people in her house were baptized. So that's Paul's first encounter there uh, in this area around Philippi. Then there's a second encounter he has. As, as they're going around day after day, they're met by this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. This is an evil spirit. This is, uh, she's possessed. And, uh, and she's being used by some men because this, this spirit gives her the ability to, to kind of see people's futures, to, to, to give them things that they're, it's kind of like fortune telling, it's palm reading, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and because of this, this demon in her, she's able to do this pretty effectively and she's making a lot of money for these guys. And, uh, and so they're, they're follow, she's following after Paul, and she's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And at one point, we're told Paul finally turns around to her, and he casts this demon out, and he releases her from this demonic possession that she has had. Well, there's a problem with that, because all of a sudden, she's not very useful to these men that were using her, Right? And, uh, and so they get angry at Paul and Silas, and they have them beaten, and they have them thrown into prison. And that's where our story begins now today. So, so Paul and Silas are in this prison there in Philippi. And, uh, and by the way, I, there's one little detail in there that isn't really that relevant to our, our main point for the message this morning, but, but it's one I wanted to point out to you. Notice, what were they doing while they're there in prison? It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to God as the other prisoners listened. What? Now, why were they doing that? Well, interestingly, as I was kind of studying this story this week, I found uh, this quote from one of the ancient church fathers, and this is what he said. He said, the limbs feel nothing in the stocks when the mind is in heaven. Isn't that a great quote? In other words, what he's saying is, if you're going through difficulty in life, the, 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 the secret to getting through that difficulty is to focus your mind on heaven, and, and you won't even realize what you're going through in life because you've got your mind focused on heaven. So if some of you are going through a difficult time right now, there's your answer. Focus your mind on heaven, and it makes what you have to go through during the day a whole different thing, doesn't it? Anyway, so, so back to the story here. So suddenly, they're there in prison, they're in these stocks, they're in these chains, suddenly there's this strong earthquake, it shakes the foundation of the jail, and, and by the way, uh, just to we're sure that this isn't just a natural phenomenon that just happened to happen at this moment in the story, not only does it shake the jail so much that the doors are flung open, they, they're, they're not locked anymore, but the, the chains fall off the prisoners and the stocks open up. Why would an earthquake do that, right? I mean, obviously, there's something more going on here than simply a natural earthquake. God has intervened. God is involved. He has set Paul and Silas free. And so you would think their natural reaction instantly would be to run. Get out of prison. 
But as you heard in the story, there's a problem with that. When the jailer wakes up and he sees that the prison doors are open, he draws his sword. He's a, he's a Roman uh, soldier. He's, a, he's a, a Roman official. He draws his sword, and he's about to kill himself. Why? Because that's what they're going to do to him when they find out under his watch these prisoners got free. They're going to kill him, and it probably won't be as pleasant as simply stabbing himself with a sword. And so he decides in that moment his only option is to take his own life. But Paul, who realizes what is going on, cries out in a loud voice, don't hurt yourself. We haven't gone anywhere. In that moment, when Paul and Silas had to make a decision, are we going to take care of ourselves or are we going to do what we can to share the gospel with our jailer? They stay. Wow. Talk about an inconvenient choice. But look what happens as a result of it. So the jailer uh, calls for lights and he rushes in and he's trembling with fear and he falls down in front of Paul and Silas and, and obviously he's been listening to some of what they were singing because look what his first question is. What do I have to do to be saved? And obviously he's not talking simply about his earthly life here because he's just learned, well, the prisoners didn't escape. I'm gonna be okay. In fact, I'm probably gonna get a medal because even though there was an earthquake, I didn't let any of the prisoners escape. But he knows there's something bigger happening here. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they immediately say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And we're told at that very same hour, first of all, he shows kindness and compassion to them. He, he binds their wounds, he washes them, and he was baptized and his whole family right then and there. What an amazing story, an amazing victory for the gospel. Now, by the way, first of all, remember that vision that Paul had about that man of Macedonia saying, come and help us? Another theologian who I was reading this week said this. He goes, there's the man of Macedonia. There, here, here's this jailer. And, and, he, and I love this point. He says, and if he was the only man in all of Macedonia to be saved, Paul and Silas still would have gladly made the journey and endured the beatings and the pain of the stocks just for him. I imagine in that moment, after he and his family were baptized, Paul and Silas looked at each other and went, this is why we're here, right? This is why we do what we do. This is why we get to do what we do. Pretty amazing. But now, remember that prayer that I told you about that Paul would have been taught to pray every morning? You know, thank God that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Do you realize the three stories that we just heard here? Who's the first person that was saved? A woman. Who's the, who's the person that they rescued by relieving her from this demon? A slave. And now, a Gentile and his family. The, the three people that Paul from young on was taught were people that were somehow less important in God's eyes, uh, people that were somehow inferior to him as a, as a man, as a rabbi, are the very three people that in this story God uses Paul to reach with the gospel. Wow. So here's my question again as we consider this story this morning. What kind of church family are we going to be? 
Are, are, are we going to be the kind of church family that takes the, the very people that, that maybe we've been taught from little on are, are not as important or are not as loved by God or are marginalized in our society? Are we going to be the kind of church family that welcomes those kind of people just as we saw Paul and Silas do in this story? What kind of member of the church family will you be? Are you going to be the kind of person that is willing to reach out and make a difference in the lives of people around you, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's not the easiest thing to do. If you prayed that prayer every morning, who would the people be in your prayer? Honestly, if you think about it. If every morning you got up and said, God, thanks for making me a a white male that lives in the suburbs, and not, what would the not be for you? My guess is they would be people who are very different than you. They would be people that, uh, that, that honestly you don't know how to relate to, people that you wonder about, people that maybe you think are a little strange or a little weird. Would you pray, thank God that you didn't make me a Muslim? Or thank, thank God that, that you didn't make me one of those people that covers their body in tattoos or or thank God that you didn't make me somebody who wrestles with their gender, or whatever it would be. Who would that person be for you? Or maybe it's not that dramatic. Maybe it is just that annoying friend, right? That, uh, that person who is like you, but you don't like very much. The person who is always focused on themselves and, and always has a lot of needs. You know, we always say, in, like in our small groups, there's always that one person in the small group. We call them EGRs. You know what that stands for? Extra grace required, okay? And by the way, if you're in a This Is Us small group and you're thinking about your group right now and you're not sure who the EGR in your group is, it's you, okay? But, uh, But, but there's always those people, right, around us, and they may, again, even be people who are like us, but they're just hard to love. And we're always faced with that decision, am I going to do what it takes to love and care for this person, or am I going to take the easy path? Do you know you can go online and you can see what the population of the world is at any given moment? And, uh, and, and this isn't actually live. Um, I actually did a screenshot on Friday afternoon of this for a little while to kind of give you a sense. So it, it's actually, the numbers are actually a little higher than this right now. But you could just sit there and you can watch the numbers go up minute by minute. I mean, I remember when it was, there's six billion people in the world. And, and that's long gone now. We're over seven and a half billion people in the world. And, and, uh, and I mean, and look at this. By Friday afternoon when I did this, there were over 254,000 people that had been born just that day alone. And uh, when you look at the fact that it was only a little over 100,000 people that had died just that day, you could do the math and you could see the population of the earth is going up rapidly, day after day after day. But here's, here's the amazing thing. Just like that quote we, we heard from uh, that, that one theologian earlier, the interesting thing to me is that, that you realize, don't you, that if you were the only person on the face of this earth, if, if that was it, if it was just you, if you went to the current world population website and it just said one at the top and it was you, okay, Jesus still would have come and he still would have died and he would have done that just for you. Just 
because he loves us that much. Each and every one of us, we are precious to him. But you realize what that means, don't you? That means that every one of those seven and a half billion people are also precious to him. Dan Grissom, our, our site pastor over at Green Trails, uh, had his first grandchild born this and, uh, and he said when he held that grandchild in his hands and he looked, he was just overwhelmed with this incredible feeling of love for that grandchild. Now, I haven't experienced that yet. How many of you have? I've told it's amazing, right? But he said he was thinking, that's, that's how God feels about me. He's, that's, that's how much God loves me. He's got that just incredible, overwhelmed feeling of love for me. And, and, and the reality is, every one of us could say that. All seven and a half billion people in this world could say that. That's how much God loves each and every one of them. Now, the reality is, of those seven and a half billion people in the world, about two billion of them are believers in Jesus. About two billion of them are part of this family that we call the family of God. Now that's a pretty big number, that's pretty amazing, and it should make us feel good that we're part of a family that is two billion strong. But, but the other side of that is a little frightening, isn't it? That means if Jesus came today, think about this for a minute, if Jesus came right here and right now, about five and a half billion people would not spend eternity with him. And, and, and that's just not okay, is it? means over five and a half billion people whom Jesus loves as passionately as he loves you and me. That means over five and a half billion people that Jesus came and gave his life on the cross for would spend eternity separated from the God that loves them. Now, when you look at that number, it's overwhelming. I, I, I look at that number and I go, how could we possibly do anything about that? That five and a half billion people, are you kidding me? But here's the interesting thing. Remember, there are two billion Christians. So that means for each one of us, it's about three people. That's it. If throughout your whole life, God uses you simply to reach three people with the gospel, everybody be in heaven with us. Now that sounds doable, doesn't it? That, that, that sounds like something we can handle. Our, our church family, we can do that. We can, we can be the kind of church that, that makes it so that, that, that we all have a chance to reach at least three people with the love of Jesus and help them get to know him. And we'll be doing our part. But the problem is they're going to be different than us. They're going to be people that are maybe hard to love. They're going to be people that, that, uh, that don't necessarily know how they're supposed to dress when they show up for church on a Sunday morning or uh, how they're supposed to behave. They're going to be people that are be different than us. And so we're going to be tested always as a family of God to, to be asking ourselves this question, are we putting up barriers to people coming to know Jesus or are we opening the way for them? Because honestly, remember, the path of least resistance tells us that the, the, the easiest thing to do is often not the right thing to do. You're sitting in church. Let me give you one example. You're sitting in church, and your good friends are sitting one pew over on this side, and you turn and look, and there's somebody brand new that you don't know sitting in the pew on this side, and the service ends, and you've got a split-second decision to make. Do I go talk to my friends, or do I go get to know the new person? It's pretty easy sometimes to do what's easy, right? One more, one more quick story. Um, it was Christmas Eve one year here at Trinity Kimberly Way. 
and, uh, and, uh, and I was up in front here, uh, and there wasn't a single place uh, for me to sit up in the front because it was already full. And, uh, and I watched uh, one of our faithful members who is in heaven with the Lord right now, um, I watched one of our faithful members come in and go to where his normal pew was. And it was full. Visitors. And I watched to see what he would do, and you know what he did? He asked them to move. <laughs> he did. And I just went. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, what kind of church family are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of church family that does whatever it takes to remove the barriers that we might even unconsciously be putting up that keep people from coming to know that Jesus loves them? What kind of individuals are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of people like Paul and Silas who, who understand Jesus' incredible love for us and are so moved by that love for us that we want everybody to know that love, whether they're a woman or a slave or a Gentile jailer, or that person that is really annoying. I pray that God would make us a family that is always welcoming to everyone. Amen.